ago today, June 10th, 2020, I began coming from the heart podcast, having one intention, really my mission. It was validation of others and never feeling alone. Experiencing the tumultuous moments of vertigo, my mental health was, and has never been addressed clearly. I knew in my heart that my voice needed to connect to a community that would cathartically heal me and others. And last year's collaboration of mental health, which was May 21st, 2021, shall we say the month of mental health, but mental health is every month at Coming From The Heart, I focused on the need to be more vocal and transparent. And today's platform, which I'm so proud to be putting out, is eradicating stigmas of mental health, which focuses on the shame and the disgrace that these stigmas are now being attached to. Having a mental health issue affects one in five adults and one in 25 people living with mental health disorders. Children, of course, are also affected, and Dan is gonna talk a lot about that on her platform. I wanna take a moment and just say welcome to this incredible panel of awesome people who are gonna come here this evening and talk about the eradication of mental health and what we can do to change the trajectory. So thank you, thank you, thank you guys from my heart. You're celebrating my second year anniversary. I'm so, so proud to be sitting here with you guys in my bathroom, although we're not saying it's my bathroom. It's an area that's lit, ni nicely lit. And uh, we're gonna start talking to you guys. Hi. So without stalling, let's get into this. Okay, Michelle, Michelle, Let's talk a little bit about your platform, who you are, and go from there. Sure. Well, I am Michelle Lukasik. I live in Chicago, Illinois. I am a, a designer and brand strategist. That's kind of what I do for my profession. And when the pandemic hit, I felt so compelled to do something in that moment to help humanity. And so I went down to about 1 16th of my billable hours and co-founded Make Good Together um, with my partner, Eric Nixon, and kind of have been doing that full force ever since. Really to start to try to, you know, play, play a role in helping to, you know, end the pandemic. But it has become so much more over the course of these two years. So to give you kind of a framework for what Make Good Together is, we really aim to inspire and empower everyday people to be the leaders that the world so desperately needs. There's a lot of despair out there. There was two years ago. There is right now, maybe more so than ever, tumultuous times, war, gun violence, Roe v. Wade, economic turmoil, and again, this ongoing pandemic, just so much at stake right now. And we were seeing a real lack of agency from an individual standpoint and a sense of hopelessness. But the truth is that 
if you can take accountability for your actions and for your influence and take acts to make small to make small change that individual action has this ripple effect so what you do for the world not only influences your environment but it also influences those closest to you in real life friends family co-workers but now that we are more in digital spaces also online and in the the digital ecosystem if you will and we believe that if we get enough people in this mindset of of making good and you know feeling empowered and inspired to make real change just through these small acts or small shifts to nudge um social norms that like these these waves or these ripples rather can become these massive waves just like it's it's incredible if you get enough people on the same page doing this good work and we've seen that um we've seen that kind of that wave happening it it's really cool because that that wave effect is kind of a bottom up leadership when we think of leadership we think of it kind of top down and uh somebody in authority tell me what to do give me my marching orders but we realized you know maybe there's not going to be the marching orders that we're waiting for so that that sense of empowerment inspiration you know kind of taking it on to be the person that you need to be for yourself for the world for the people in your sphere it's empowering and it it really does kind of stamp out the hopelessness and circling back to to breaking the stigma of mental health i mean hopelessness has been a big and despair have been big kind of pinpoints in all of our existence over the last 2 years so what we really try to do is give people that hope through you know personal action thank you so much michelle amazing thank you so much for your thoughts uh, scott you're up i work in the movie business i'm in los angeles right now and uh you know the past the two years during the pandemic were were difficult for everybody and it definitely uh shut down the industry i was in and you know it, it, as usual it didn't affect people who are wealthy and who could ride ride it out uh but it affected just uh, everybody else people who work people who work every day craft workers you know people on crews actors who don't make millions of dollars and it was a very very difficult time and people you know are are they're, they're not very good in the industry of figuring out what else to do because most people have worked so hard to get to the place they're at that they don't want to think that they might have to do something else so a lot of people really struggled through it and uh, i just watched it you know i watched it from being here in the us i also work overseas i saw it from overseas and you know it was it was a difficult thing for everybody to go through you know people wrote it out right ultimately you kind of have to but there weren't a lot of tools available which is which is one of the things i'm still curious about and and that's one of the things here it's like i i didn't see anybody in my industry solve anything right you know there are people who are starting organizations and trying to figure out stuff and you know if in my industry unfortunately it it can be a very selfish industry so people want to take care of themselves or just their own families and there was a lot of entrenchment like there might have been elsewhere too and i i saw a lot of that it was you know disappointing it was very disappointing so 
you know, for me, I, I think I started thinking about doing other, not other stuff like uh, totally other profession, but I was uh, active in writing and I did some other things that I'd wanted to do for a long time. And my writing sort of came out during that time because I wasn't able to, to work as a producer. And it's helped me a great deal. And actually writing in general usually uh, is cathartic anyway, whether it's good or bad, it doesn't really matter. So that's the part I learned a lot about, about sort of like writing as therapy. It really, it really was a great thing for me. And I saw, and I, and I encouraged a lot of people to do that. And even if they weren't writers, you know, because people are afraid, well, I can't really write and I can't write professionally. But I said, it doesn't matter whether you write professionally or not. It's about, you know, exposing yourself and getting your thoughts down. So that was a big thing for me. And I think it helped me and it helped a lot of people. Uh, you know, look, you know, all of this, you know, from afar, it's like what just happened in Texas, you know, the gun control issue, which is, which is paramount. But then there, on top of it, and I'm not stating this as a, as a conservative platform, but there isn't, once you get past or try to get into and figure out how to get guns out of kids' hands, which we should be, there is an issue, there still is an issue about, you know, how, how come people like that aren't getting flagged, right? Why aren't they getting, putting the gun part aside, which is bad enough, why are they not getting flagged? Why are they walking through? And why is nobody, why does nobody seem to understand how to go, hmm, I think we better watch this kid, right? He was only 18 years old. So I, I, if I could do, you know, if I, if I could do anything in life besides, besides <laughs> gun control, which is number one, if I could do anything else, I think I honestly would, would start over, get a degree in psychology, get a master's, get a PhD, and figure out what to do and how to see this because the fact that we don't see this or we see it, but we don't know what we're looking at. I find, you know, a, a pervasive issue that I, 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 I wish, I wish there was an answer to that because I don't know that there is an answer to that. But I, I, I try to figure out too, in my industry, if there's a way to expose that uh, in some way and, and I'm still struggling with figuring that out. I'm sure there, I'll find it because I usually do, but um, it's not easy. Yeah, thank you so much, Scott. Amazing uh, comments there. Moving on to Lauren. Hi, uh, my Hi. name's Lauren. I am from Phoenix, Arizona. I'm a student at Penn State University. Um, and mental health has been something I've been involved with since high school. Um, when I started at Penn State, I started August 2020, so obviously things were uh, difficult to say the least, but um, I've been able to get involved with a few different platforms there. I work as a research assistant in the Emotion Development Lab at Penn State. Um, instead of some of the studies we're doing are trying to find ways to combat and help mental health issues, which is a really cool thing to be a part of. Um, and we work with teenagers, so it's really cool to kind of be able to try and find ways to help them. Um, I'm a tutor and the student mental health lead for the AOC Homework Helpers Program, uh, which has been amazing. It's a wonderful program, and it's really inspiring and heartwarming to see the importance of mental health in that program, especially with younger kids, and kind of training our tutors of what to do and how to approach conversations and stuff. And I've also been involved with DMAX since my freshman year, which is how I met Caitlin. She's the best. Um, but we focus a lot on 
having conversations and educating people and you know because I think so many people have been struggling you know the past two years as it's previously been said have been really rough and I think a lot of people are unsure of how to approach things and I think the band-aid's really just been ripped off and shown like how inadequate a lot of the systems we have in place are and how the whole stigma that we have around mental health socially is a problem and I think going back to I mean, not to make this depressing, but some of the, the gun problems Scott brought up, I think socially we're very numb to a lot of things. I think that includes COVID as well. You know, we had a million people die. And I think making these conversations normal is one small step in the right direction. So yeah, that's me. Thank you. Yeah, Lauren. Yeah, I'm just jotting down so many great thoughts. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, Kate. Hello, I'm Caitlin. I work with Walk With Dignity. We are a relatively new nonprofit. We support survivors of sexual violence. Um, I became involved with this organization in October 2020, so height of the pandemic. But before that, I was involved with DMAX during my time at Penn State. Um, I actually helped found the DMAX club at Penn State, and we sort of got it up and running and found a way to sort of support everyone while we were all taking virtual classes and then trying to get students to adjust back to being in person with all these new stresses. Like Lauren said, it's very conversation focused and just trying to get people to open up about these issues that for so many of us we were taught not to talk about was a really big deal. That's how I got into sort of mental health work and social justice work in the first place. When I first started at Penn State, I had major issues with an onset of depression and no one in my life had ever talked about this stuff before. Um, and I had felt so alone, but I knew that something was wrong and I reached out for help from uh, CAPS, the, the school psychology. And I started talking to some of my friends about how I was feeling. And I realized that I definitely wasn't alone in how I was feeling. And I just was so mad at myself and everyone else for not talking about this stuff. Because if I felt so alone and everyone else felt so alone, why weren't we feeling this way together and sharing that burden? Like it sucks. Just because you have a friend doesn't mean your depression goes away, but it's a lot easier when you can talk about things. And that just sort of snowballed into everything I just talked about. Lauren actually took over my position in the DMAX organization after I graduated. She is fantastic. I love her. And to see the way that the club has grown and the more people that are getting the help and the support they need is just an amazing thing to see mental health is health and it's something that everyone needs to be talking about it's just it's health it's part of living yes 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 thank you so much kate amazing stuff jamie kate i love everything you just said um hi jamie angelini i live in new jersey i am a longtime mental health advocate mental health educator um, professionally and personally. Professionally, I get to work for the Mental Health Association in New Jersey, where I've been for 21 years, and I'm so proud and honored that I get to do this work each and every day, like Kate said, talking about mental health. 
typically, um, we don't even say normally, typically having it be part of everyday conversation. Um, so I do a lot of mental health education. A lot of the stuff that I do is focusing on reducing stigma. Like you said in the beginning, one in five. So if one in five of us, you know, just us on this podcast, if one in five of us or the people in our family, or our friends are experiencing mental health challenges, we need to talk about it more. And that's a lot of the work I've been able to do um, with the young and the old and everyone in between. So working in the high schools, doing mental health education and suicide prevention, um, you know, working in the community and really, you know, this, this is my life. This is what I love doing. And we come so far, but we still have a long way to go in having these open conversations. And like Kate said, mental health is health. We all have mental health. We do not all have mental health challenges. We may in our lifetime, but this is something that we have to continuously talk about. Over the last two years, I, you know, as you can imagine, I've done a lot of work with individuals impacted by COVID-19 and their um, emotional impact, you know, and COVID-19 has impacted all of our emotional health. But long before that, you know, working with individuals and just educating communities um, and trying to just change the narrative around mental health. You know, one of the things that and I think a few people have touched on it already that we're faced with is that people are connecting mental illness and violence, and that's simply not true. So when we talk about breaking stigma, I think every one of us have to take on that narrative that people living with mental health challenges or mental illness do not do bad things. Bad people do bad things. So when there is, you know, mass violence, it makes our job as mental health advocates a little bit harder. We're working so hard to break the stigma. And if any one of us was experiencing a mental health challenge, and then people are, you know, feeding into that stigma, well, it's harder to talk about it. It's harder to go to someone and ask for support and help. So I'm just so thankful to be here with all of you. I'm so thankful that each one of you are doing this work because it takes all of us. And, you know, this, this is what I do each and every day is mental health education and trying to you know, fight to break the stigma and each one of us can make it a little bit further, a little bit further, but, but we need all of us. Um, and we need this to be typical conversations in everyday communities, in our physician's offices, you know, anywhere we go talking about mental health and especially in our schools. I'm excited to hear from Dan because I know she's going to talk about some of the work and just some of the passion with young people. Um, but thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm just excited to be here. Jamie, you are always rocking it with mental health down in Atlantic City, Atlantic County, and thank you so much for your voice and everyone's voice that is here today. I love the fact that we have such a diversity of this collaboration of so many platforms, and that's why I was super psyched to get all of you together. So thank you. Evan. Hey, thanks for having me. Um, this is so wonderful. This is so, I'm, I'm in the music business, and I have an artist development company called Experience Music Group. And really, honestly, stumbled on mental health because during COVID, we had Clubhouse sessions. I'm not sure if all of you know what Clubhouse is. It's an app. It's sort of a community app for people to come on and, you know, support each other and help each other in the music business. And I, would, I had weekly sessions and with artists and people and producers and writers and every, pretty much everyone that was out of work. And every week, the conversation turned to mental health, every single week. And it opened my eyes to something that I knew was an issue before in the music business, didn't realize how big of an issue it was, and then what COVID had done to it. Um, because essentially, you're taking something where people can't tour anymore, 
there's no in-person meetings. There's no going to the studio. Um, and it's a very collaborative process and that got taken away. And so I, I have, I'm not a psychology major, I'm not an MD, but these sessions, honestly, they turned into therapy sessions where you would just sit and listen to artists talk about how hard it was. And, you know, over time, really kind of within the first few months, I, I thought, well, I need to start helping these artists. And one way that I can help them is by bringing as many people that I know in the music business onto this, have them hear their stories and connect them to see if they can help each other grow each other's careers. Um, and I just, you know, it, it again, it, it really opened my eyes to what part mental health plays in the music business and how, how, how prevalent it is. And then like, obviously a lot of you have mentioned stigma um, no one talks about mental health in the music business. I'm very sure to the film business as well, but it's hardly ever talked about. It should be probably number one um, because it's, uh, <laughs> I, I hear, I've heard, if I've heard it from one person, I've heard it from, I don't know, thousands. And so it's great to be here and great to sort of share you know, my experience and really listen to all of you um, and learn because you know, it is a tough time for everyone. Uh, and I have kids, 12 and 14, and and I want to be there for them and be able to have those conversations with them, an open conversation about mental health and not ever let them feel like it's not something that they can talk about. So thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much, Evan. Dan, let's see what you have. Hello. Thank you, Angeline, for having me on here. It's my first time on a podcast, so bear with me. My name is Danielle and I work for Lodestar Children's Services. I've been with them for coming up on a year and a half. And a little bit about us, we are a nonprofit. We provide in-home mental health therapy for support for children and their families throughout uh, Suffolk County, Nassau County, Brooklyn and Queens. And what our goal is to really support families and their children so that they don't have to be placed into institutions. We want to be that proactive answer, get in from the get-go so that it's not too late. Uh, we currently are working and supporting about 115 clients, uh, age range from five to 21. And the type of services we provide, it's called home and community-based and child family treatment and support services. So it's all under the Department of Health and Office of Mental Health. And I didn't know that this existed before I joined the organization. I did not know that these types of free support through Medicaid were out there. I always thought, you know, you had to go into someone's office. It had to be a formal pay out of pocket type of situation. And we're different. And, you know, I think recognizing that support comes in all shapes and forms is really important. So our founder started this organization six years ago because he was in, uh, he worked in group homes and he became a care manager. And one time he went to go ask his uh, supervisor, hey, can we help support a child? Uh, he's looking to have someone who also went through some substance abuse problems, looking for a male, kind of just had some, like wanted to have that connection with someone. And his supervisor goes, at this time, uh, he can only work with Susie, who's about 72, or he's going on the wait list. And James was like, no, 
this can't be the, the same answer that I keep getting. The kid's going to go on a wait list, go on the wait list. And so he said, okay, I'm going to take a risk and start this organization. So we've been growing, which is phenomenal in one sense, but also it just recognizes that mental health for children is truly needed. And especially after the pandemic, it really exacerbated showing that mental health is going to be, as, as someone was saying, it is part of health. You know, it is there every single day. Um, so we recently had an event. It was called Milestones for Mental Health, which is an amazing event. We walked about 12 miles across Suffolk County. And while we were walking, we carried, at the time we were working with 112 clients. And as we walked, we carried the 112 rocks and the goal was to reflect the weight that mental health has upon our clients. And with each mile, we placed rocks down, hoping how our services are lessening that weight on them. And it was phenomenal. So the goal is to raise about $150,000, which is still definitely a work in progress to be able to get a youth recreation center, somewhere to call home. Because we bring our kids out into the community and everything unfortunately costs money and we don't get a lot of funding. The only way we get paid is to have these services. And, you know, about a few years ago, I don't know exactly how much the price is, but for a kid to be in a group home each day is about $250 before medical expenses. So if you times that, if they're there for a year, if they're there for about 365 days, that's shy of, it's about $100,000. And that's a lot of money. And that's one child. So I think that, it's really important to recognize that funding doesn't have to always be in form of response and reaction. It should really be from the start and helping fund different home and community-based services, home support services that can be there from the start and just funding more mental health stuff because it's there and it's needed. So thank you guys. Thank you, Dan. Cool stuff. I mean, I definitely, you know, we've spoken so many times, Danielle, about recognizing the, I would say a pandemic of the situation going on with kids and young adults just not getting the proper mental health facilities needed, um, resources. So thank you for doing what you do, Dan, amazing. And Zane, let's hear from you. Another California person, my bud out there. Hey, Zane. Hi, everyone. Hey. hey. <laughs> uh, I hope everyone's doing well. I'm Zane Landon. I am currently in California. I've been here my whole life. Um, native Californian. I just graduated from Cal Poly Pomona with a Bachelor of Science in Communication and Public Relations, which is hopefully what I plan on going into, something to do with communications. And it applies to what I was going through my whole life with, since I was young, probably maybe four or five, I was experiencing mental health problems right away. My parents definitely took note of that. And I, saw a therapist for a very long time or a psychologist, including a lot of members of my family. So it wasn't always unknown, but it's still hard to talk about. Even when you're around that support, there was always some setbacks. There was always a lot of stuff to experience, especially recently with the pandemic and even before with trying to arrange my emotions. Uh, but, you know, people should, it's, it's hard for people, but understanding that mental health is a lifelong journey, in my opinion. It's not something that ever really goes away. It's something we always need to keep managing, especially people with mental health conditions. Um, and therapy isn't the only answer. There's so many things that we can be doing. So about my platform, um, when the pandemic started, I was a little 
frustrated with the mainstream media because I don't think that they were they had a great opportunity here to address the mental health community and how it was really impacted by the pandemic and they failed to do so and they still failed to do so when it comes to addressing mental health and when we do see mental health representation in the media a lot of times it's distorted or it's bombarded with how violent they are when it's important we get the information right that instead of painting them as violent criminals or creatures the studies show that people with mental health conditions are actually going to be targeted more by violence. They're actually going to be victims of or survivors of violence more so than that. And I think it's important to get the information right, especially when it comes to suicide. I took a training and it's not wrong and it's not problematic to ask someone if they're thinking about committing suicide or it's not going to put the image in their head. That's what we think and that's what we're scared of. And so it's important to get the information right through storytelling in the media. So I started Positive Vibes Magazine at the very beginning of the pandemic because I wanted there to be a platform for storytelling, how it correlates to mental health. And so we've been able to feature around 70 people and from all walks of life, which makes sense because that's how mental health impacts every single person. And it's cool to see how each one addresses their mental health. If it's through sports, through being a psychic, through mediumship, we've, we feature a lot of different people. And that's what we're trying to do by eradicating mental health is showing that these are just regular people. And in the media, sometimes they paint mental health as very extreme. And of course, there are people that have extreme conditions, but a lot of people just have these conditions and are trying to live normal lives and they're not being shown that and in the media. And so I think that's it's really important to show that this is something that impacts everyone and it's not always, you know, the extreme that we see. So that's what I'm trying to address with the magazine and just just trying to create an ongoing dialogue about mental health. And I also have um, a PR company where we represent mental health clients, Lean <laughs> being one of them. Uh, so that's been very exciting. And then lastly, I was actually had the opportunity to go to the White House recently to advocate for mental health for a youth act, mental health action forum with MTV and the White House. And I did get to meet President Biden, which was really exciting. So that's, that's the work I've been doing so far. We got celebrities in the house, as you see here. Yeah, amazing work, Zane, just amazing for everybody. So, so many voices, so much empowerment. And the bottom line, guys, for all of us with these platforms is the eradication of dealing with mental health, generally speaking. And it came to me in the last 24 hours, and, and I'll share this with you, in a situation where I know someone who was going to a camp. And the story goes like this. She told the camp that she was having a mental health issue, that she wasn't able to do a certain duty that was expected of her in her position. And what the, what the camp did, instead of sitting down, having a conversation and speaking, they fired her. And I said to myself, you know, as far, how do I say this? We feel we've come so far and we haven't. And this is a large organization. I'm not gonna put the name out there yet, but I was just so disgusted by the protocol, how they went about doing certain things. And quite frankly, I think that is norm. I don't believe that most companies are truly, truly getting. What I believe in the two years of doing this mental health uh, podcast and different brands that come on and so forth and say, as Zane, I'm agreeing with you, that they support mental health or they're all about mental health. I believe they're hopping on trends, that it's trendy to say certain things about a certain something. But I think the reality at the end of the day is when someone is put, oh, excuse me, when some label is put on a person of having some mental health condition, they want you to be out. They don't want you around. 
they may not really, really, sh they may not be really sure, as I clarify my words here, to what you may do or what you may not do. And I think it circles back to what Jamie was saying moments ago, I believe it was Jamie, about guns, and Scott mentioned guns, and like, okay, um, you know, the, the thing is, is that when you're talking about someone with a mental health issue, they may not be the person who's going to go shoot a situation up or a school or something like that. And it's really given a bad um, aura of people to attach these things to mental health. Mental health is struggling so hard to get these voices out there. And what I feel in the last two years of the pandemic is the silver lining that, thank God, people have finally stopped to realize and say, it's okay if you need to take medication, if you're seeing a therapist. It's, again, the trend words, a therapist, mental health. But really, if you are so vocal in a job situation, how supportive is your manager or that company going to be of you? Unless you are in a private situation, speaking to an HR person, I feel like we have so much, we've done so much, but your voices are wowing me today. I'm honored, so honored, I'm emotional here that all of you are coming on to talk about such cool, amazing platforms. Jamie, I, I wanna just go to you for a moment because you are, as you know, not, not that everybody else isn't. When I think of, when I think of you know, mental health, I think of, of course, Jamie, because of course, Jamie mentioned she's the director of, of mental um, health services down in Atlantic County. What are you seeing? I mean, we always check in with each other here and there on Instagram lives and so forth. Um, with, with you know, the stigmas. I mean, the stigmas are still there. I mean, clearly I know in regards to stigmas, to eradicate a stigma, um, you need to be more vocal. There needs to be education. There's different courses, different things that are happening in the schools. Are the schools doing enough? Probably not. I can say that I worked in the schools. I'm not really sure what's going on. You know, teaching children at a small age about mental health, it's okay to feel a certain way. And as a person matures and grows, then they become yet a more um, educated individual regarding mental health. So Jamie, what's your piece? So I, I agree with everything you said. Um, and we have a long way to go, but we, we are making progress. I mean, the work that we're doing now, organizations and businesses that are opening their mind and opening their doors to say, come in and do a workshop around mental health. Those things were not happening before. Now, a piece of that has been the pandemic. You know, whenever there's a disaster, you know, we don't want disasters to happen, but I saw this after we talked about Superstorm Sandy. We see this after disasters that people are more open to talking about emotional health because everybody's impacted. So we have seen a shift. We have a long way to go, but we've seen a shift in people asking, hey, can you come in and talk with my employees? Can you talk with HR? Can you do a training on mental health? Can you come into the schools? More than ever before. So I'm excited by that because the more we do that, the more we talk about it typically, then we start to break down the walls. And one of the things we always say is, how would you treat an employee with a health condition? Because we all know when someone's experiencing or living with cancer or heart disease or COVID, we rally around, what can we do? How can we support that person? Do they need time off? Can we drop off a meal? Can we give the kids a ride? This is what we do. But when someone is experiencing a mental health challenge, we don't do the same thing. So we always have to kind of bring it back to health generally and say, well, how would you treat that family, that friend, that neighbor, that employee if they came to you and said they had a health condition? If someone walks in and they're limping, everyone says, oh, what did you do? Are you okay? Do you need something? Um, but if someone comes in and looks like they've been crying, we're kind of like, oh, should I say something? Well, why? Why not say, 
I'm concerned about you. Is there anything you need? And like Zane said, one of the things that we are talking about in businesses, in organizations, not social service, but other organizations and businesses is, hey, you can ask someone about suicide. You can say, I'm concerned about you. Are you thinking about suicide? And we would never give someone the idea, like Zane said, and we can have open conversations. So we are doing more of this public education training for people that have no background in mental health. And that's what's changing the narrative. And that's what's changing the conversation. And every one of us that can model language is really important. If you notice, I'm really, I'm really careful with my language. I always say, and I work hard at it, the person living with, experiencing. Mm -hmm. I don't even say struggling with, because I don't know if they're struggling with depression, they're living with it. So even when we teach people about changing language, the person who might be experiencing that hears that, and they might feel more open to reaching out. So I, I am seeing some positive shift in breaking stigma. Um, but I agree with everyone here, we have to keep at it. And we have to keep at it each and every day. And we have to get to leadership and HR and businesses in the community so that something like what happened to your friend doesn't happen to someone else if they come openly and say, hey, I'm experiencing or I'm struggling or I'm in distress and I just need some support here. They get that support they need, just like if they had any type of medical or physical issue. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I absolutely. And regarding that situation I was just sharing with you guys is that this is an organization, this is a nonprofit camp organization that has been around for a long time. And shame on them, man, shame on them. They're not just, you know, a brand new situation. I just don't think education is there, although they claim to have extensive training, um, specifically with the campers and or the staff. But I believe this even goes to, as I, you know, we're all saying corporate levels as well where you know and and evan in, in the music in, you know industry and really everybody out here is platform and scott as well in hollywood oh god forbid you know unless you're excessively famous and then you come out and on your platform and you start talking about it and then everybody sort of attaches to that but you know when the famous are talking about it does that really trickle down to me or my friend or someone most probably not most probably not you know, pandemic, I think, has given us a plethora of information to go on and think about differently or change the trajectory of certain things happening. But, you know, again, with situations, not situations, agencies like you, um, yours, Jamie, which are phenomenal, but you, you know, you need to clone yourselves and, and, and bring you to so many parts of, 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 the, um, of, of different industries, you know. And Evan, I just wanted to ask you a question, specifically in the, in the music industry. Um, do you see any shifts of positivity in that way, meaning the ratification of anything in, let's say, as we are slowly morphing, I wouldn't say out of the pandemic, but a shift towards more normalcy or however we want to verbiage that? I mean, you like you hear it from Halsey. I'm not sure if you know who Halsey is, of course, but of course. You know, she made a comment. I think I don't know. It was last week. Her label wanted her on TikTok, and she was just. There's so many social networks that these artists are responsible for being on and sharing content. It's way too much. The average human can't handle it, um, and to expect these artists to sort of get on there and you know show their music every which way is is just ridiculous so you'll you'll hear more and more artists say well you know I, it's it's too much or i just my audience isn't there or just use it or billy eilish billy eilish is great she really uses her platform for mental health um and talks a lot about 
she just said something the other day. She said, I think fame is a poison. I mean, that's a strong, strong statement to say fame is a poison, something to that effect. And so you're starting to see more and more of these artists, you know, make that that connection. But I, I agree with you. It's the, the trickle down effect is, look, they're having the conversation. It's a starting point. It really is. But like, look what, you know, these kids are up against today. Look what they're seeing on Instagram. Look what they're seeing on TikTok. On top of like a 24 hour news cycle, you know, I'm 47. I didn't have that growing up. I didn't have social media. I didn't have all this information bombarding me on um, not only like what to wear, how to act, et cetera, as a, as a child, but also like, look what's happening in the world. We're in a 100 year pandemic, 40 year inflation. Um, there's, you know, crisis in, in Russia. It's just, it's, it's really, really so much that like, to, to my point, I think we have to look at it differently than we've ever looked at it because the information overload in and of itself um, is a problem. Absolutely. No, absolutely. And artists, I agree with you, like Halsey or Billie Eilish or Lady Gaga. I mean, there's, a, there's definitely artists out there who've been advocating mental health for a really long time. And they have their communities that attach to them and so forth. And maybe not up and coming artists because they don't have the engagement of the audience yet that people don't really know who they are. But at least voices are being heard. But again, I think it's, you know, I'm seeing some people's notes here about, you know, it's always the trickle down. It's, you know, is it gonna get to the everyday person? Um, would a situation not happen again that happened to my friend in a camp situation where they were fired? They were fired because of their mental health. I mean, bottom line, did they say so? No, and they were, and they were following the person around, making sure that they didn't like do something crazy. Yeah, it's so it's just, you hear it, you see it. And then, you know, I just wanted to also just throw out there, you know, the rate of suicide. The rate of suicide is through the roof. Um, I believe it was very much um, happening pre-pandemic. I think that, you know, I worked in the graduate world. I taught grad school for 18 plus years, all different sectors of population where suicide is excessively high. Jamie, of course, I can go to you for a second for stats on that, because I probably wouldn't have that on the top of my head. Globally, 800,000 people every year. And if we, in the United States, close to 47,000 people die by suicide each year. One suicide every 11 minutes. So um, yeah, absolutely. We need to do more in suicide prevention and awareness and we need to start much earlier with young people. Yeah, yeah. And take the stigma away of not speaking, like you said, about a suicide situation. It's always like, shh, you know, oh, don't talk about that. And your training, mention the training that I actually, unfortunately, I didn't get to do. That incredible training, yeah. Sure, two trainings, which um, are offered really all over the world. Uh, Mental Health First Aid, which a lot of people are probably familiar with, public education training, eight hours, and it will change your life in eight hours. You will look at mental health differently. Based in evidence, people leave the class with increased mental health literacy, reduction in stigma, everything we're talking about tonight. Um, and also QPR, suicide prevention training. These are two that, um, that we do. I probably do several of these each week. And every time we do them, we know, you know, if we have a class of 15 or 50, people are leaving there with a different mindset. Um, and people are leaving there, like Zane said, looking for signs and saying to someone else in their life, are you thinking about suicide for the first time ever? 
And even the way we talk about suicide, we say die by suicide. We no longer even say committed suicide. We're trying so hard to reduce stigma and change language. And those are two trainings that, um, that we are able to do. And they're happening all over the country and all over the world to reduce stigma. So really proud of those and, and happy that I'm, I'm able to be an instructor and to do some of that. No, absolutely. Could it be seen on the corporate level? In corporations, I mean, do you, I know you do many different many different types of training, but do you think corporate-wise or startups? I mean, I keep saying corporate. You know, what is corporate these days with the with the pandemic and so many different situations changed? They have shooter training. They have like you know when I was in the school, like you know, protecting and this and that. But what about that? I mean, as well. There's, I mean, I'm not negating what I just said, but I'm just saying suicide uh, prevention training is excessively needed. Do you think it'll happen where corporations will attach to this? I think it's happening more and maybe, I don't know if anyone else um, you know, tonight is seeing it happening at the corporate level, but we are seeing people. And, and unfortunately, what happens is sometimes after a death by suicide, that's when we get the call and we have to focus on more prevention but that's the time where people say, oh, can you come in and teach my staff? Now, we'll, we'll take any opportunity, but we have to stop being reactive. We have to get in there first. But we are seeing it differently. We are seeing it with corporations and leadership. Um, and someone even mentioned like mental health days in the chat. That's something that we have to talk about more and, and has to be built into everyday organizations um, and corporations. So I'll let someone else jump in. But yeah, absolutely. Okay, We're absolutely. seeing it and we need to see more of it. Absolutely. Yeah. I was going to say, um, yeah. and just thinking about the people who die by suicide, um, around 25 attempts happen per death. So that's a lot of people. And we do talk about how we're very reactive and not proactive. But the thing that is interesting is even though we're being proactive, we need to be even more proactive because 50% of suicides, the person previously attempted. So someone who died by suicide, 50% of them previously attempted before, and they clearly were not getting the care they needed to successfully do it. And this time it was their second time doing it, or you know, trying it the first time, then second time. And it's like, it's very unfortunate. It's like even being proactive may not be enough. There needs to be something more there, just something I was thinking about. Yeah, thanks. Thank you, Zane. Anybody else? Some Dan, have some thoughts? I, yeah, I think I shared this with you, and I apologize for not knowing who had stated this, but there's this idea that if you have the ability, you basically are physically moving from day one. And if you get injured, you go to physical therapy. But we jump to mental health therapy as the response when situa situations arise. And it's like, why are we waiting to respond and react when things can be happening from day one? And, you know, it doesn't always have to be, it's just, it's talk, it's the language, it's, it's talking, it's the open communication, it's saying, hey, is it okay to ask for help? Yeah, it's okay to ask for help. There is no shame in that. Everyone should feel that comfort, whether it be to a friend, a teacher, whoever the person in your world may be, people should have that comfortability and security to know that your voice can be heard and it should be heard. Dan, do you think it's for an example, like Gen Z, the Gen Zers? Okay, you're Gen Z, Alexandra's Gen Z. <laughs> Kane, there you go, we got Kate, you got you know the pack here, where you are more in tune to be that much more sensitive of mental health because you're growing up, or not growing up, you are a mature adult in this 
other world that we're living in into pandemic where you would be much more sensitive to that or suicide, meaning when someone, you know, would have a conversation about that. Do you think because of, of your generation? Um, I think a lot has to do with technology and social media. Um, of course, as Zine said before, there definitely is um, a way that it skews into the wrong direction. However, I do think people just having conversation in general um, and being able to, you know, click on my phone and just saying, um, asking Google a question, granted, it might not give me the right answer, or, you know, hearing a podcast or hearing people talk about it, I think it has showed people that these conversations are happening out there. And as um, I apologize, uh, I think it was either Lauren or Caitlin before who was saying that there might be a group of people who are feeling something, but it was always like, oh, I'm alone in this feeling. It's like, no, like we could be alone together in this feeling. So I think social media definitely definitely has its perks and non-perks, as does everything in life. But I think that has definitely sparked this conversation for a lot of people and that comfortability to talk. Kate and, um, of course, Lauren, I want to hear your perspective on this, the Gen Zers out there. You know, and also the organizations that you guys had at, you know, Penn State. Mm -hmm. I think for sure, going off of what Danielle said, I think technology and social media has really opened people's eyes to, unfortunately, how common these things are. And I think kind of going off of what Evan said about just how crazy the world is, I think, you know, we grew up like post 9-11, 2008 recession, we're back at, you know, bad economy again, COVID, all that. And I think our generation doesn't want to tolerate certain things. And we've kind of realized that, you know, the future is scary with climate change and everything. And politically, things are so stressful and tumultuous. Um, and so I think a lot of young people, you know, having grown up in such a, a really crazy time have just realized how important mental health is um, and really taken the reins on trying to get rid of the stigma. Um, and I think the the stuff I've been involved with, it's all been with younger people. Everyone I work with is around my age or younger. And I think it's really inspiring and amazing to see that. And especially, you know, with the tutoring program I do, you know, teaching like five-year-olds and first graders how to approach these conversations and talk about their emotions um, is really, really important work. So, yeah. Thanks. Kate, thoughts? Yeah, uh, I agree with Lauren. I think our generation is unique in that even if social media hasn't been around our entire lives, it's been here for a good chunk of it. And even before that, televisions were everywhere. You know, we were kind of the first generation or one of the first to be able to get global bad news all at once. It wasn't just, oh, there was a robbery downtown. It's now a bomb went off across the globe. It's a unique kind of information and it presents almost like a unique trauma. Uh, especially for children as their brains are developing. We're not supposed to be exposed to all of this. We're supposed to be playing outside catching butterflies. <laughs> this isn't really what we were supposed to be taking in. And I do think that that has made some of our generation 
um, more sensitive to these things in a good way. And then there's the people who get more sensitive to it in a bad way. Like, oh, this is how it's always been. Why do you want to change it? It's like, well, that's kind of the problem. It's always been this way. No one wants to change it. Um, as far as social media goes, I like to see it as a tool. And I didn't always see it that way. Um, in 2018, I, I'm very open about this. I did make um, an attempt on my life. I was a freshman at Penn State and things were not going too great. <laughs> Clearly I'm good. It, didn't work. Um, and I've really thrown myself into connecting with other people because I really wish that someone would have reached out to me whenever I was in that situation. And I really just want to try to be the person that I needed and didn't have. And as part of my recovery, I started reaching out to people more. And that meant using social media more. And I realized the block button is my best friend. Yeah, I don't have to see my ex-roommate's vacation. What That's just going to make me feel bad about myself and like an argument we had three years ago. I don't need that. I can follow therapists. I can follow positive affirmations. I can follow dog videos where the dog does a little dance in a hat. Like that's going to make my day better. And I'm allowed to shape the stuff that I take in in a way that is healthy for me. I also follow activists, so I know what's going on in the world, but it's framed in a way that allows me to say, this is a problem, there is a solution, and we just need to work towards it together. Social media can be incredibly toxic, but it can also be a beautiful community, and that's really what I try to focus on. I really try to turn the conversation to, yes, that's a problem but it's one that we can fix and we can fix it now. <laughs> and as soon as you divert enough attention away from a bad thing and towards a good thing, that's what people are gonna focus on. We focus on the bad right now. The bad is addictive, but we're letting it be addictive and it's just making mental health worse and leading to more issues. The more that we focus on bad things and not the solutions to those things and the way that things can get better. So. That's yeah. how I see things. Yeah, awesome. Scott, I want to hear from you because I know, yeah, I want to, you know, Scott and I talk about lots of different topics and lots of different things and mental health when we sit down at Starbucks and have our tea and coffee. Um, Scott, you know, Hollywood, you think of Hollywood, these famous people, you know, eradicating stigmas of mental health. They hop on all these platforms. I got, you know, what, what you're thinking? I mean, you're part of a community of producers. You know, you spoke a little bit about your platform, a little bit about your ideas, but do you, do you see in the foreseen, you know, future, anything that is going to be positive as far as maybe it trickling down to us? Meaning, you know, you have these superstars, they hop on TikTok and all this, Instagram and stuff like that. I just, you know, just some oh, more thoughts. That, it's, it's a, unfortunately, everyone in this industry is trained to make people think they're fine at all times. You, yeah. an actor doesn't want to show any foibles because it'll lower their value, whether that's financial or whether that's with an audience. Directors don't want people saying, oh, he, he or she has got a problem, let's hire somebody else, uh, et cetera, right? Writers, everybody. So 
it's a, I, I think it's one of those industries where you're, you're really not um, trained, not only trained, but, but you aren't allowed the opportunity to do it. Look in professional sports, there's, there have been athletes opening up lately, right? Or the last two or three years. And it's always a surprise when some football player or, or baseball player says, or basketball player says they have mental health issues. We're always like, uh, what's his name? Uh, uh, DeMar DeRozan, right? Plays for San Antonio, I think. He's talked, he's one of the few people in pro basketball who's, who's lots of guys who's talked about it openly. And, and it's wor I think it's worse in Hollywood because you get like, don't hire them. Don't hire that person. Mm -hmm. So there's very little opportunity other than the classic private psychiatry, which people can afford to do. But it, it, that isn't, isn't, you know, fixing a problem, which is probably more pervasive than we know. I, I would I, I try to encourage people to talk like like this, you know, like in groups. And when I have lots of friends, we've had these conversations over the past two years. So there are people doing it, but I don't think it's enough. I don't think it's enough. And I don't think most of them have an avenue to do it. You know, uh, they, they're not trained to do it. They, they think there's a stigma related to it. I think, unfortunately, as well, uh, a lot of the African-American actors and people in the community, they're, they're already sort of, there's almost a cultural bias against it. Uh, there's a lot of cultural bias against it anyway, that there's nothing wrong. You don't talk to anybody. You don't talk to a stranger, right? God help me, you don't talk to a stranger. And, and you know, these things aren't said out loud. They're not said out loud enough. There are not enough people in my industry saying anything like this or, or addressing it. So I think it's an issue, you know, and, and I, I, I do try with people to, to, you know, ask them for real, like what's going on and you know something's going on and to try as, as much as possible to do things one-on-one, -on -one, but it's very hard to put people into situations where they're willing to speak publicly about it. And we all know that if several celebrities had, you know, the guts to, to, to say things publicly because they, they're so out there and they mean a lot to people, it would probably help but they're willing to talk about a lot of things. This, this isn't necessarily one that they're willing to talk about. And that is a problem. I'm not sure, you know, I, I don't, I'm not, I, I'm not, I, you know, I'm not involved uh, medically or, or, or involved in the kinds of organizations some of you are. So I wouldn't begin to be able to say what, how, how to do that. But I do see it and I do see it as a problem, a, a big problem. Do you think production companies, I mean, there's, you know, the bigger production companies and so forth, um, or even the smaller ones, when they see a situation of a person dealing with a mental health, do you think they address it in a positive way or they shame them to not no, want to I don't, I don't know that they shame them. I just don't think they know what to do, nor, nor is anybody equipped. Nobody's trained. That's the other thing. Nobody is trained in this industry to deal with any of this stuff. Nobody. I don't, I, I nobody. And I think that's really the problem. You know, you get, if it's corporate, if it's a, if it's a corporate situation, a studio, you know, they're trained for certain things that they have to do through HR, but most people don't work that way in the industry. Most people are freelance now. They're not studios and they're not all this stuff like it used to be. So right. there's no like place, you know, there's no, you know, meeting ground. There's organizations that, you know, um, but not for this. 
and and I and I think that's that could change, but it hasn't. And again, part of the problem is is that so many people are freelance, and they're not they don't work for studios anymore. They they don't work for big companies. That's very seldom, and that's not how the industry is based. And it's people all over the world too now, not just in L.A. or in New York, you know. So and all over the country. So. You know, it's it's a, it's a, it's a difficult situation for sure. Don't you think the production company would hire? Like, you know, look, the year of pandemic time, that they would have more support. I mean, clearly, let's say a, let's say a huge actor, come, you know, has a mental health issue and comes out and starts talking about it, and people attach themselves to it. I mean, I think they'd have to be brave and do it themselves because okay. they. You know, a big actor can afford to do that, right? Maybe a big, a really big. I mean, I hate to say it this way, but the best thing that could happen is that somebody gigantic, right? Somebody everybody knows, who's yeah. got the money and, okay. and who is like, well, it doesn't matter if I say this; they're not going to not hire me. Comes out and says, "I have a problem." I mean, it's a you know, in a way, it's yeah. a terrible thing to say. But I think that might be what it takes. Somebody who puts a sign around themselves and isn't afraid. You know, uh, you know, it's like what we talked about with other social situations about some of us who have something to say about our lives. And, and you know, at some point we say them or we don't, you know. Yeah, you're right. So Selena Gomez has spoken out. Yes, yes, yeah. She actually absolutely is. is but you can, you, you, we're under five. You know, I mean, under five people, right? That's one, and I don't know who the other four are, but yes, she does, and and she should be supported for that. And she is kind of, you know, she she's yeah. not ridiculed. Yeah, right. Uh, and, and more people should understand it's okay, but uh, the production companies aren't going to do it because they don't they don't employ these people, you know. Absolutely. So no, no, absolutely, they, absolutely. Know, um, yeah. Well, thank now, you. Now, what what could be yeah. is is the pl the places that could are like the unions the screen actors guild right they saw their membership go through this right screen actors guild the directors guild um and the writers guild you know uh and and those are the organizations that should be talked to because they could set up programs because there are writers who you know are jumping off of buildings right over the last two years and they could easily set up come here on Thursday night at four, you know, at seven o'clock, you know, and that could be done. Those are the, those are the places to focus on the unions, the crafts, not necessarily the production companies. And I, and I think that's the place where, where you'd probably get somebody interested. Somebody would probably say, we get it. Those three in particular, because that's where everybody is. Screen Actors Guild, Writers Guild, Directors Guild, you know, and some of the craft unions, but, but mostly those, those are the big three. And yeah. I think that would be the way to go. Cool. Thank you. Zane, I got to go to you for a minute because Selena Gomez, you, Washington, D.C., Biden, let's hear it. Let's let, <laughs> let's 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 dig in here a little bit. You, did you see Selena speak anything, of course, on her platform with mental health? Thanks, Scott, for addressing that and, and, and bringing yeah. that out to us. Yeah. Yeah, to provide more context, the event where I met Biden, which we didn't know he was showing up. He just kind of <laughs> showed up while we were waiting after the event. We did for sure, Selena Gomez was there, Dr. Murthy, the Surgeon General, and Dr. Biden, um, you know, the um, First Lady. So it was very exciting. We knew we were gonna see those three. And at the event, you know, Selena Gomez told a bit about her story. I wish she told a, a little more, 
but I can imagine her being very nervous. Her mom was there, but I love just how vulnerable she was about mental health. And it's something that's impacted her career, her life, everything. And she has her own foundation now where she sells makeup and the proceeds go to mental health organizations to just create change. And so I'm glad they actually brought someone that is doing the work and, and is engaged in the community um, and just some, someone that really cares about it. Um, you know, there are a lot of, I think that influencers and people who have large platforms have the power to create change. And I think that's where we can see it trickle down in the, you know, in that bubble of people that follow them. And, you know, once someone starts sharing their story like Selena Gomez and more people follow, I think more people are going to follow. I think, uh, Michelle, you mentioned the ripple effect at the very beginning of the podcast. And it makes sense. If someone like Selena Gomez speaks up and she's getting support, now more people are speaking up. And now there's actually like a whole mental health community on TikTok where a lot of people are just openly talking about it and they're getting support and they'll get that hate because that's exactly what you're going to get on social media at all times but the amount of support I can imagine is overwhelming so I wish more platforms would embrace you know what I think TikTok is doing and what the kind of like the newer social medias are doing with mental health and how it's becoming more of a more of a culture there and to go back on what we were talking about, um, Caitlin was mentioning like negativity and negative news and how we're just so bombarded with it. This is why I really think we need some sort of positive network or a positive news network where it's all about positivity. And I don't, I'm not referring to toxic positivity because that's not going to help anyone. And if you don't know po toxic positivity, it's just, just be positive for the sake of it, which doesn't work because we can't always be positive. What I'm trying to say is tell the stories of mental health in the raw truths of what how people experience them, but also show how they're inspirational for what they're doing after and how people can experience the darkness but come out in the light. And that's what I want to see. And so there are a couple of like television shows doing that, but I think the mainstream media needs to get behind showing students, kids, adults that have mental health conditions that are, are doing things that are, you know, transforming the world. And I think that's inspirational. I'm actually part of an organization where that's mainly what they do. 30% of what they talk about mental health is negative and 70% is positive because the positivity is going to inspire more to share their story and again, create that ripple effect. Cool. Yeah. Amazing. Thanks, Zane. I just also have to mention, um, Justin Bieber actually just came out with something that he was dealing with today. Um, I can't remember the syndrome if anyone was picking that up on their feed or social media. Um, and he's been vocal about a lot of things. So again, I think he has, I don't know if it's some type of a syndrome, but I would assume that obviously that would have a correlation to his particular mental health as well. And he's pretty vocal about things. So again, there are certain artists, back to Evan talking about artists and Scott talking about, of course, Hollywood and what you have to say. What I also just wanted to comment for one second is the power of thought. I had this awesome interview with Ify Thomas. She, was a, she wasn't able to hop on with us today. She's my friend from the UK and she's a positivity coach. Same when you were talking about positivity, I was like, okay, I got a segue with this. Power of thought, meaning of course, every day we get up, we brush our teeth. Oh, I'm so down about this. Oh, I have to go to work. Oh yeah, you know, all the things that we're bombarded with on our daily life, all of us individuals, platforms, etc. However, as I'm trying to do, as she's done in the 18 months, put the positivity in it. Like, oh God, I have to now, you know, walk my dog or do the dishes or whatever these mundane activities that you have to do, but spin it in a try in a more positive way. Because research says, and Ify would probably quote that better than I with some statistic, that when you're putting these positivity, positivity thoughts or positive thoughts, there we go, into your daily routine of who you are, it actually really does work. And, you know, self-care, love yourself, all these things, trends that we're, you know, constantly hearing. But really, 
the basics, being kind to yourself, giving yourself positive thoughts, and education back to the schools. I'm not going to blame the schools on to do everything because I was a teacher, but again, if the schools could implement that in their health program, to be kind to yourself, to think more positively, I believe that we would have less fatalities of suicide and less fatalities of mental health issues. So anybody want to jump in and comment on that? Michelle, we haven't spoken to you in a little bit. So what's up, Michelle? So I believe that your story is yours to write. And I think we forget that. But it's so powerful to look at your life that way. Like, and, and the story that you frame your experiences in, I mean, that shapes very much shapes who you are and how you exist in the world and in time space and connect with other humans. So again, coming back to the kind of empowerment and inspiration work that we do at Make Good Together, like just taking ownership of your story. The, the problem is it's hard to do when you're in a, a space that might be tough or trying. So I know for me personally, I try to like build an environment around me that gives me reminders like <laughs> my, uh, when I open the door for coffee I have a, like a reminder there like this this is the person you want to be Michelle remember so for me it's about how do I build spaces in an environment that can reinforce my understanding of you you get to build your own story you get to write your own story you know the things that have happened to you you get to decide what those means and what purpose and meaning you can assign to those things in a way that serves you um, to be the version of yourself you want to be. And also, like I said, like that just ripples out. Like if you're if you're being your authentic self, messy and all, <laughs> it doesn't have to be perfect. Um, then then that is going to be expressed and exuded, and others will you know, understand and appreciate that and hopefully pick up on your vulnerability and feel like they have a space to be vulnerable and authentic in themselves as well. Um, going back to this idea of social media, I think it's also important that we understand that like our value isn't wrapped up in likes and follows. I think it's the wild, wild west right now in digital spaces. And we are at such a unique point in time it feels like social media has been here for a while but it it really kind of hasn't it's really in its infancy and it's a wild west so for those who have the capacity to help shape brave spaces uh accepting spaces spaces that you know gracefully push down hate in comments i mean simple as that or even how you quote unquote vote with your your likes and your follows i just think it's important that we shine the light on those who are doing good in the world because this 24-hour bombardment of conflicts isn't good for us but we have we do have agency in that regard to kind of shape our environments i mean when i said opening my door when I get my coffee and seeing that sign there, Michelle, you being the person you want to be, that's one way, but also shaping digital spaces, I think is important. Thank you, thank you. Anyone else, some thoughts as we wrap this up a little bit? Anybody want to say anything? 
Yeah, I feel like, you know, we have the, we keep talking about how amazing it would be to have uh, the larger influencers, someone who's famous to be vulnerable, to open up and talk about their own experiences. But I see a trend as we're all saying, you know, talking about the union, talking about the individual self. It's kind of like coming back to community at the end of the day. And, you know, hopes and dreams. Yes. Would it be amazing to have the famous people open up? Yeah. But where we do have more control, where our voices do trickle out, more and where there is more of that hands-on experience is from the community so kind of working I think Michelle might have said it earlier you know like bottom up like it's so much there's going to be difficulties where wherever you're doing it but there's so much uh ease in doing so when working through community you know like we most of us are have gone through schools most of us have grown up in various shapes and forms of a community but you know, seeing that from day one versus seeing something that so could be far-fetched as a famous person, it shows, oh, my neighbor, my teacher, person down the block from me, we all have a similarity. We all have that common ground and it's it's closer in range. So, yeah. No, uh, no, absolutely. I, you know, I agree with that. I'm really just thinking as everybody's speaking here, it's what about the communities that don't have social media and the communities you know coming from the heart is all about inclusivity i try to speak to lgbtq plus i try to speak to minorities and nonprofits and so many so many platforms out there and but yet i believe you know i, th I think zane and i had talked about this at one time possibly is these royal communities that don't have the support or what about people with a disability that don't have the support with mental health there's so many sects of the population and we can't just swipe it and be like, oh yeah, I mean, I believe from the bottom to the top, yeah, Michelle. But again, it's, it's getting the message to the places that don't have what we're talking about. And that I believe is the challenge. That's the challenge because again, the areas that know about it or can get their hands on social media. Okay, fine. But you know, Zane, what, what's your feeling on that? Um, my feeling on that is still <laughs> the power of mainstream media, because in places where they don't have social media, I still think people tune into television and the traditional news or radio or things that we think are becoming obsolete. I don't think are, you know, I think things like radio and podcasting are still really popular platforms that people tune into. I think that they need to be leveraged more so that these stories can reach broader audiences. Um, cause again, like you said, social media still impacts a certain, um, segment of the population and you know to really make impact we need to be getting to the places that don't have access like you were talking about Helene so and I still think it's about leveraging mainstream media and I would love for them one day if every you know mainstream channel like Fox News CNN MSNBC all these big channels had a mental health um, segment where it was just you know maybe an hour a day where they would have a host um, just talk about mental health or bring in on an interview, bring someone who has their PhD, someone who's doing the work, an advocate, so they can share their story. So, you know, it's you know it's out there in the world more. And I also think <laughs> that the mainstream media needs to do a better job with kind of rebuilding its trust because the mainstream media's trust is, at, an, at a, I think, at an all-time low and the spread of misinformation is happening a lot. And that's why there's a lot of misinformation about mental health and violence and a lot of different things. And so I think mainstream media needs to also position itself where it can gain 
the country's trust again, because I think that that is a huge issue with the spread of misinformation as well. And that's a huge issue. Oh my God, yes, yes, yes. And I love the, uh, the television stations. Scott, you can help produce this. Positivity <laughs> Channel, you know, 24 hours of happy, you know, like not 24 hours of sin. <laughs> but it wouldn't just be happy, I'm just being stupid and silly. It would be obviously giving good information. And that's why I'm proud with our platform and your platform and everybody's out there platforms. Well, if you have a platform, you're speaking, of course, on mental health, where you are giving good information, correct information. I always say, I don't know everything, but I'm going to bring on people that do, do know these things. And as an educator, I think, yeah, that's amazingly said. What you said is to give quality, good information, not good, but obviously truthful information. There's the word, truthful information that unfortunately in different administrations, we haven't really seen that. So again, people that don't have their hands on the social media would turn on the TV and then they would attach back to what we were talking with Jamie, gun violence. Oh, it's this mentally crazy ass person that's going around shooting everybody up. Oh, he had a mental health issue. No, he didn't. He just was crazy or whatever he was or something snapped or clearly whatever his environment was to perpetuate him to do what he did. So anybody else have some last thoughts before I wrap it up a little bit? Just one last thought, you know, we're lucky enough to have you and to have this podcast, but, you know, just having these conversations at home, in our house, with our young children, you know, Evan and I both have young kids, starting those conversations there, talking to one person in the community as we leave here tonight to talk about mental health, to say, are you okay? Is there something you need? So even when we don't have these bigger platforms to speak about mental health and stigma, just speaking to one other person each day will start to ripple effect. So I just wanted to share that. I was just thinking about that as we were wrapping up. Well, yeah, thank you, Jamie. I think um, during pandemic time, people would say, or maybe it was a trend of words or verbiage, oh, check in on your neighbor or check, on, check in on someone. I don't believe anyone's saying checking in on anybody right now, as far as I know. I believe at that time or people would be much more concerned. So that's just my version of that. But absolutely, I agree. Anybody else, last thoughts here? We're good, everybody, no, we're good. All right, as our last, last moments of this beautiful voices of this mental health collaboration, of course, eradicating stigmas of mental health, I always do, and people who know me, who've been on before, I always give a segment which is called a heart to heart. And I believe in the world we're living in, in the communities that we are coming from, we need a moment just to reflect upon someone in your life or maybe it's part of your platform, or maybe it was something you've done today or yesterday or somewhere in your life where a situation has touched you in a way that made you feel positive. I'll get back to the positivity of Zane's happy network. So we don't have to go in order if everyone just wants to do a popcorn effect. Dan, I'm looking at you. So Dan, we can, you can start. I connected with a organization today and she had no idea that these types of services we provide, the in-home mental health support existed. And she was super excited and is able to send it out to a bunch of colleagues. So to know that whether it be one more kid that we're supporting or a hundred more, just sharing that was a good feeling. Amazing, amazing, amazing. And it always makes you feel good when you give, obviously or get what you give, yeah. Scott, thoughts here, heart to heart. <laughs> <laughs> I, I honestly just wish the business wasn't filled with people who uh, spend their time 
not caring about anybody else. It just happens to be a very selfish industry. I, I actually have fought hard over the years to change that in as, in as much or as, as little as maybe I've pulled it off, but to connect people more, um, to, to have people open up more. And I'm just gonna continue that the best I can. Uh, linking up with organizations where I might actually be able to introduce certain people to here to, you know, especially like I said, the unions, I think would be a start because they, I, I do think they would have a vested interest in doing that, but um, that's where I'm headed. Uh, Thanks, Scott. Thanks, Scott. Mm -hmm. Zane, thoughts? I think when it comes to like coming from the heart and just hearts reaching hearts, it's just about asking that one question, like, how are you doing? I think that we don't hear it enough. And when, sometimes when we do hear it, it's not coming from a genuine place. So when you take the time and ask someone how they're doing, really take the time to hear their answer so they feel validated and heard. So that's all I have to say. Jamie, thoughts? Oh, when I think about what's touched my heart today, we just wrapped up a six week workshop with teenagers around mental health, and it has been a beautiful six weeks. So um, I'm happy to be here tonight kind of thinking about the last six weeks with them and mental health and all the wonderful things that they shared as we wrapped up today. So that really touched my heart. That's what I'm thinking of. Beautiful. And then they can spread the word and they Absolutely. can spread the word and spread the word. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Michelle. So we're starting to ramp up for this event that we call Global Interdependence Day, which is on July 3rd. It's kind of a, a global plead for celebrating our interconnection and our interdependence. So spending my Friday kind of ramping up and figuring out how like we can build this world that we celebrate and recognize our connection has been a really beautiful day for me. So the event basically is where you share a post on your hand or just art. Some people did chalk art with the hashtag, we are connected. And um, I hope everybody can take part. July 3rd, globalinterdependencedayorg Yeah, I'm gonna promote the hell out of it on Instagram. You know, stories, I'm always doing a story. So I'm, I'm so honored to be part of that. Thank you so much, Michelle. And Kate. I'm over here racking my brain trying to pick one thing that's been positive because I have been doing so much lately, like really trying to take control of my life and my time, um, which I guess could just be my thing. I've really been taking over my schedule lately and like I changed what shifts I work at work and I picked up a babysitting gig and I'm scheduling time for me to read which is fantastic and that's been making me extremely happy so just prioritizing myself for the first time in my life is pretty epic <laughs> i love it what are you reading anything good so yesterday i finished book lovers by emily henry five stars definitely did not cry for the last two chapters straight because of the beautiful metaphors of how the way we choose to live our life is like writing our own story i believe like Michelle said, question mark. Yeah, um, okay. beautiful book. You would love it. Um, and today I started a fantasy novel called These Hollow Vowels, so. I love it, love it, love it. You gotta, guys gotta check out Scott's stuff anyway. All right, uh, promoting you there, Scott. All right, who did I forget? Lauren, Lauren, Lauren. Oh my goodness. Hi, I know, Lauren. like, Caitlin, I'm trying to think of one thing. Hi, I think, Hi. I don't know if this counts, but I recently got into some 
research work looking at like polarization and its effect on like mental health and kind of how to mitigate that stuff and I think that's really cool and makes me a little hopeful for the future which is a good thing I think so there's my heart to heart love that thanks 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 for sharing and Evan uh, my son graduated from junior high to high school yesterday and so seeing all those kids that have spent half their junior high from home going through a hundred year pandemic and making it through to high school was super inspiring. And, you know, obviously proud of my son, but proud of all of those kids for, for getting through that. And, you know, that's going to be something they'll have their entire life. And uh, if they can turn that into a positive, then that will be an amazing thing. Amazing, amazing, amazing. I'm so overwhelmed with your voices. This platform is awesome. I always say to my husband, yet another one's coming and how excited I am. And I'm always like, yeah, I mean, the voices of each platform are, I should say, illuminating. They elevate me, they empower me. They make me want to have my voice stronger out here with Coming From The Heart. I always feel at the at Coming From The Heart podcast, I am not alone because I got you guys out there I started this two years ago, as I said in the beginning, with not really knowing any direction I was gonna you know, go to, I'm gonna start to cry here. And these platforms and these voices, and if I can, or we can, shall we say, as communities, touch people that need to be touched to never feel alone, give them validation. I'm gonna keep going with as many platforms as I possibly am humanly possible. I'm gonna keep collecting people on my journey as you guys having this conversation tonight really has touched my heart and that is my heart to heart that you guys wanted to come on and be so much a part of me and so much of my platform and my message just to get out there that no one should ever have to deal with mental health issues alone because communities do care about you you just have to find the right community to be in and the resources that are out there so from my heart at coming from the heart. Thank you guys so much for being a part of me, part of the platform. I hope to see all of your voices again on another collaboration soon. And keep it in mind that mental health is not just in May, although mental health month. Mental health is every month, every day. Take care of yourself, take some time for yourself and do what my friend Ify was saying. Give these positive thoughts because quite frankly, positivity within yourself can only spread to your family and everybody else around you. Have a wonderful, happy weekend. For my friends out in California, enjoy the rest of your evening because you got more there than I do. And for my friends here on the East Coast, enjoy whatever you guys are doing. Enjoy the weather, it's summer. Get out there and just have fun because having fun is your mental health. Good night, everybody. Thanks everybody for joining and I will speak to everybody soon. Bye-bye. See ya.